0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 31. This is the word of the Lord. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel. And the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan and Abinadab and Malkishua, the sons of Saul. The battle went heavily against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and pierce me through with it, otherwise these uncircumcised will come and pierce me through and make sport of me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. So Saul took his sword and fell on it. When his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died with his three sons, his armor-bearer and all his men on that day together. When the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley with those who were beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead. They abandoned the cities and fled. Then the Philistines came and lived in them. It came about on the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain. That they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. They cut off his head and stripped off his weapons and sent them throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They put his weapons in the temple of Ashtaroth and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. Now when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men rose and walked all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of beth And they came to Jabesh and burned them there. They took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. You can be seated. So the book of Samuel in the Jewish Tanakh is not broken into two parts like it is in our English Bible. Just one big book of of uh, Samuel. So we shouldn't make too much of the break between the two books. But the division at this point does make sense if we um, if we take the two. Samuel's as a whole, the focus is undoubtedly. I mean, if if you take all of it together, first and second Samuel, the focus is undoubtedly on David, King David. But um, if you take this first Samuel, the first uh, part, the argument could be made that King Saul is the focus of this first part. And uh, although David is present, he takes prominence in this in second Samuel. So he and that makes sense. He being the first king of the nation, selected by Samuel, and uh, and his priesthood. Uh, that makes sense that the first part of the book would be focused on on Saul. Now let's review a little bit um, the life of Saul. We've just read of the of his his. Um, <clears throat> I won't call it a tragic end because it's a. It's a just end. It's a prophesied end. It's a predicted end. It's the end of somebody who follows after his sin and gives his life over to sin. Um, but there is there is tragedy in it, um, particularly when you when you think of Saul's start and um, and the humility with which he starts, but uh, certainly does not progress that way. But think. Think of the life of Saul for a minute. Chapters 1 through 7 set the scene in 1 Samuel. It's all setting the scene. We, we read of the call of Samuel. We read, read of the, uh, the, his work as a prophet. But um, remember what we learned about Israel at that point. Israel is Ichabod. right? The glory has departed from Israel. The glory has departed. The Philistines have risen up. They've captured the uh, ark of God. The sons uh, of the priests, Eli's sons, are deplorable, right? They're, they're, uh, they are not committed to the Lord. But there's still a prophet. There's still Samuel. Chapter 8, Israel uh, demands a king. You remember why? Uh, what they said when they wanted a king? They said, uh, now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. Right? They wanted a judge, they wanted a king, they wanted a ruler that would judge them in the same manner as the kings surrounding them. And this thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel. He was not happy with this. He knew what it meant. And then God makes it very clear what it, what it means. He says to Samuel, they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So in asking for a king, they're rejecting the king they already had, which was God himself. Um, and then remember Samuel in that, that important chapter 8 also says that if you ask for a king, the king you're going to get is going to make slaves of you. He's going to take from you. He's going to put your children into bondage. And it is not going to go well. Chapter 9, Saul is chosen. Remember what it says about Saul in chapter 9. What kind of man was Saul? Saul. He's taller than everybody else by a shoulder, and uh, and he was handsome, a choice man, choice and handsome man, and that is the man that is chosen to lead. And it is interesting how it focuses on his appearance, right? And and that becomes a theme throughout the book. Uh, God judges the heart, but man looks on the on the appearance, on the outward um, man. Saul is chosen. Saul immediately. Uh, he he um, prophesies. Spirit is upon him, right? And uh, he defeats defeats the Ammonites. Uh, things are going well early on in his, his um, reign. He is 30 years old when he begins fighting with the Philistines. He reigns for 40-some years. So the end of this book is 40 years later, and it's still the Philistines he's battling with. So the Philistines are a thorn in the flesh. Um, Jonathan, his son, is also... Uh, victorious he gains victories versus the Philistines, and then you remember Saul gives him that foolish order uh, he gives all the army that foolish order that they they 're exhausted, but they 're to fast they 're not to eat until um, the battle is ended and Jonathan dips his his uh, staff into honey and eats it and Saul promises that he 's going to kill his son Jonathan, and it 's actually the people who intercede on his behalf, right? And turn Saul away from killing even his own son. So he's willing to kill his son, but the people intercede. And he's willing to kill his son to keep his foolish order. It was a foolish order, right? Uh, Saul then commits his great disobedience. You remember his great disobedience? It had to do with the Amalekites. God told them to destroy all of the Amalekites and all that they had, everything devoted to the ban, And yet Saul kept back some, some produce, some, some uh, of the spoils to make a sacrifice. And uh, Samuel says to him uh, and is speaking uh, for God, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. So even at that point, that's uh, chapter 15, he is rejected from being king. Okay, David then kills Goliath while Saul refuses to attack, refuses to take, to go forward into battle. David, as a young man, were introduced to him and he goes into battle. Jonathan's heart is yoked toward David. Um, they have a... a a, a godly friendship and they are loyal to one another and have taken covenants of loyalty to remain with another. Even while Jonathan, his son's heart is turning to David, Saul's heart is turning against David more and more. Um, Saul to the point where at this, at this time, Saul begins chasing David, uh, around the kingdom in order to put him to death. He, um, so Saul is pursuing David. In that pursuit, you remember that Saul kills a whole city of priests to the Lord, the priests at Nob. And throughout that time, also, David continues to show him mercy. David remains loyal to Saul, even though Saul is not, not, uh, does not have his best interests in mind. We could put it that way, right? And so David is showing him mercy, and then Saul consults of the Lord, but there's no answer, right? God has, God has left Saul to his own devices. And because the Lord wouldn't answer Saul, Saul consults with a medium, consults a woman. And that is after he has told the people that no one should consult mediums. So now he's willfully sinning against which, that which he knows to be the commands of the Lord. He's willfully going against that. And, uh, and he continues then to pursue David. Um, in battle, some 40 years after his first battle with the Philistines, he is wounded and kills himself in order to avoid shame before men. And that's something we saw of Saul all throughout. He was concerned about his reputation more than he was concerned about the reputation of the name of the Lord. You know, he he he, uh, he, wanted, um, he wanted to raise himself up rather than raise up the Lord. So you just think about the, the course of, and I, I mean, I've skipped over a lot of the things that we've hit throughout these sermons on First Samuel, but... He goes from an obedient son looking for his father's donkeys, right? Just a a humble and obedient son doing the work of his father to Israel's uh, king to a troubler of Israel with rash commands to willful rebellion against God's commands to murderer of God's men, the priests, to pursuer of the next king out of jealousy to self-murder. I and mean, that's quite a progression, isn't it? Obedient son, Israel's king, troubler of Israel, willful rebellion against God commands, murder of God's men, the priests, pursuer of the next king, and he would have killed him if God had given him the opportunity to, and then killing himself, a self-murderer. So you think, you think about... The life of Saul, and you remember, we had to, we had to figure out, and we had to talk about whether Saul was a was a believer, right? Because there's there are often times when Scripture says the Spirit was at work, the Spirit was on him, right? To prophesy, he prophesied, and yet um, then then we talked about how an Ill, evil spirit from the Lord was upon him, and then the spirit departing from him, and so. We had to talk through that, and we concluded that he was, you know, like. Um, I mean, he's a man who had the operations of the Spirit on him, but not not for regeneration, right? The Spirit, the Spirit can operate on anyone whom he'd like in any way he would like as God, and yet not regenerate them. And so, um, but you think of of Saul who. Who should, who had knowledge, right? Who had Samuel? Who had Samuel uh, teaching him? And then along comes this. I think there's just there's there's a point of no return for Saul. Right? There's that that one great disobedience that led to him being a despiser of God. It it was the thing after which we don't see very much good from Saul we don't and and that's when that's when he refused to obey an explicit command of God. God told him to do something very specific, very uh not simple but but uh, clear, right? And and at that point he refuses to do it and then makes excuses for himself and you remember his repentance is all kind of like self-focused. It's not repentance, it's remorse. But it's not repentance. And so you know, you think of um, you think of similar people in the scriptures that give us an example of this. Think of Judas. Had the had the spirit operating on him? Well, he went out and and we assume did some of the miracles that the other apostles did, and he spoke of Jesus and he witnessed, and um, yet there was that one disobedience. Of Judas, that one disobedience, where, where he he decided it was better for him to have thirty pieces of silver than it was to be to follow Jesus Christ. Thirty pieces of silver, and he made that commitment to uh, to the um, the leaders of the day. And what happened after that? He ended slaying himself. In a field. He became a self-murderer. Think of Esau. Right? Similar. Uh, Sold his birthright for one meal. One meal. He did a cost-benefit analysis. And thought, okay. I'll give up my inheritance for a meal. And then we learn from Hebrews. That he sought for repentance with tears. But could find no place for it. He sought for repentance, but couldn't find a place for it. In other words, he he just couldn't couldn't bring himself to do it. Right? He sought for repentance, but couldn't do it. Then think of um, Ananias and Sapphira. Right? Ananias and Sapphira. They 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 make one little you know they commit to the to the apostles that we're going to sell this field and we're going to give the proceeds to the church and they just hold they make a decision and say well we're going to hold some of this back and not give it to the church and and they die right they're judged very swiftly and fear fell upon the whole church right fear fell upon the whole church Make that one sin, and from that point, it is, um, it is no, no turning back. Any other? Think. Uh, I can think of one other. You may be thinking of other examples of this, but think of Achan. Think of Achan in uh, at uh, at Jericho, right? Achan is. Uh, they've been told. Again, devote everything to the band. Don't take anything from the spoils. But Achan goes into a tent and, or goes goes into the the camp of the enemy and takes clothes and silver, right? Changes of clothes, which you know that's there's some wealth in that, and silver, and buries them in his tent. And at that point, he's under judgment, right? Uh, Israel is being judged. Thirty-some men fall the next next uh, battle when they go into Ai. And then um, Joshua has to clean house, right? And what do they do? The whole family of Achan is uh, stoned to death. But it's those, those, th- those singular points, that one point of temptation, where in these cases there was no repentance, though it was sought for. And they they were under judgment from that point on. In Saul, it was that willful disobedience to a clear command of the Lord. With Judas, it was for money. With Esau, it was for a meal. With, With Achan, it was for money. And with Ananias and Sapphira, it was for money. Funny how times people choose money over following the Lord. And that's why Jesus said you can't serve two masters. Right, think about this also it 's very hard to reject God and live with that conscience, that guilt it 's very hard to live with that guilt to reject God and these are people who who knew something of God. They may not have been regenerate, but they knew something of God they had been taught, and so um, it was it was on their conscience at least um, It is for those who have once tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. Right, Hebrews chapter 6 talks about that. For those who have once tasted of the Spirit, that it uh, it is hard then to bring them back to repentance. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no... Firm root, they believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Believe for a while and then fall away when temptation comes. That, that's somebody who has the spirit working on them, but not for regeneration. And then they, they, they taste something of the good things of God and then in time of temptation fall away. That's what happened with Achan. That's what happened with Saul. Right? That's what happened with him. Time of temptation came, and he just couldn't do what God told him to do. And he falls away. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. First Timothy 4. Hebrews 3.12 Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. That's that's a command to brethren, right? Make sure that there is not in you an evil unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. And so we have to examine ourselves. In all these cases, as with Saul, that falling away began with one sin that was a point of no return. One sin it was some taste some pleasure some delight outside of god right or or outside of a godly context that became a new god a new idol the idol of self right that's what saul had saul wanted people to worship people to worship him he worshiped himself he did not worship god Saul lived for himself he was a self-pleaser as Dr. Hollow would say right all he did after a certain point was to that end I've known people who have forsaken God for money I've known people who have forsaken God for opportunity I've known people who have forsaken God for relationships I've known people who have turned their backs on God for for career. I've known people who have turned their backs on God for drugs and alcohol and for ease, for love of the world, right? For sex, for sodomy. I've known people who have left the church and have turned their backs on God for those very common things, right? For those things that many of you have an inordinate desire for right, that all of us struggle against, that all of us are tempted by. And so (laughs) you must flee and pursue, right? You must flee these things and pursue. Flee sin and come more and more to love God's standard, right? If we can't love God's standard, if we can't love holiness, then we'll never flee sin. But we want to come to love holiness. If you don't Um, If you don't think that there Could be some worldly delight For which you may be willing to You know to um, I mean it's ridiculous to think about But in all these cases There was some worldly delight There was some focus That made them think that It was better to live for now And face eternal punishment that's essentially what you, with knowledge, would be doing—in turning your back on God. You would be choosing immediate pleasure, and willfully choosing eternal punishment. And yet, in, and you know, when you put it so starkly as that, it seems crazy. Like I would never, you know, I would never turn my back on the Lord. But then temptation comes on you, and for a for half a meal. You might be willing to forfeit your soul. And you think you, you, you have less strength than Esau had. Right? A pot of stew. A bag of silver pieces. Right? A few animals to sacrifice like Saul. All seemingly minor things, but what a price. Right? What a price to pay. Now you think about what, what we know of the next king. What do we know of the next king? Well, one of the things we know about the next king is he's a, a terrible sinner. He's weak. He loves women. Right? He loves women. He, he, he uh, practices murder. His sins are in a way um, less, less noble than Saul's right david king david uh king david goes after his flesh but we know and and then the other big sin and there are other sins we as we go through david's life we've already encountered many of the ways in which we think okay he he may have been lying in this circumstance and that may have gotten in, into tro- trouble he takes he admits his error when Saul kills the priests of Nob, he says, yeah, that's because I talked to Abimelech, right? Abimelech? Yeah. The priest. And, um, and so, David, though we know, is hasty to repent. He's quick to repent. And that's what we should all be, knowing that in these other circumstances I talked about, one sin was that point where they hardened their hearts toward God, right? But hastiness to repent is what keeps you from that hardness of heart by the grace of God, right? Even though David's sins were terrible, um, you, you think that maybe his hastiness to repent was informed by watching Saul, right? David watched Saul get harder and harder and harder and turn away from the Lord in turn to his own ways, and David may have constantly had that example in his mind as he committed his own sins. Faith always quickly repents. Saul did not. And then remember, remember Jesus, your representative, your federal head, the second Adam. He didn't disobey. Right? David was better than Saul because David was hasty to repent. But Jesus, the King of Kings, didn't disobey, didn't sin, did not at one time ever choose himself over his God. Not once. And so we read in Romans 5, For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. And so it was through his obedience, his constantly yielding to God, that you were saved. Right? And so Jesus is the the true king our true head, and what, what a glory that we, he is not just our king, but he's our federal head, that as he went, we went with him, right? Just with Adam we fell, in Christ we rise again. We read this in Second Timothy 2, which we'll be coming to in the mornings. It is a trustworthy statement, for if we died with him, we will also live with him, If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Right? Those are glorious truths there. If we died with him, we're going to live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, though, he's going to deny us. Right there is that statement. What did Saul do? He denied God. What did Achan do? He denied God. What did Ananias and Sapphira do? They denied God. And there was a point where they, they just were done with God. They had hardened their heart and turned. If we are faithless though, right? Faith is up and down, isn't it? Faith goes up and down. We, there are times when it feels that we are just faithless. Well, God is still faithful, right? I think you can go past faithlessness to denial if you deny God, if you say, no, I'm done with God, right? If we are faithless, if our faith is very weak, if it's almost extinguished, but not quite, never fully is extinguished if you are the Lord's. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He can't deny himself so I'm taking, we didn't get into the details of, of 1 Samuel 31. I just wanted to take a broad flight over this. Um, if you've read, as I hope you have, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, you know that 2 Samuel starts with a different account of Saul's death. Right? In, this, in that one, a, uh, an, <clears throat> an, um, an Amalekite is reporting, I think it's an Amalekite, is reporting to uh, David what happened. And it's very clear that he's lying. It's just very clear that he's lying in order to to get something from David. And so the account of 1 Samuel 31 is the account of Saul's death. The account of 2 Samuel 1 is the account by a liar. Okay, Somebody who had something to gain by this. Well, he didn't gain in the end. David slaughters him. But um, So there are differences there, but... But what i wanted us to go away with thinking about was was this saul it's this don't underestimate sin don't underestimate your your willingness to to follow sin to your hurt right how many times have you given a pass for the sins that you've gone after up to this point? But which one of those sins will be the one where there's just not a return? There's not a, there's no repentance that follows. Even though you seek for it with tears, but there's none that comes. What, what, So do not underestimate sin. It so easily entangles us, doesn't it? It easily entangles us. But we're to fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. And so... Do not underestimate sin, but then do not underestimate the power of God toward those who believe, right? The power of God toward those who believe is the spirit at work in them, right? You can overcome sin. You can repent of sins that you have committed. You can confess your sins to the elders of the church and begin the long process of restitution and repentance and growth in the Lord. You can do that, and you must do that. That's what you must do, unless you you think Saul's a good example to follow. Saul is not a good example to follow. Harder, 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 harder. Kills himself. Couldn't live with the knowledge of what he had done, in a sense. Couldn't live with... I mean, it's shameful that his last act is him thinking about his reputation before other men. Don't let me die in the hands of the Philistines because they're going to parade me through the streets. They're going to make a, you know, and he's thinking about his own reputation at that point. Would that he had said, I have sinned against the Lord. So don't underestimate sin, repent of it quickly, but don't underestimate the power of God toward those who believe. The power of God will lead you to repentance. The power of God will not only lead you to repentance, but lead you to overcome and put to death those deeds of the body by the power of the Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Oh Lord, we pray that you would give us a great distaste, a hatred of sin. That we would not go after that that thing we're thinking about now that that tempts us every day. But that we would kill it and walk after you. That we would find our pleasure, our delight, our, our rejoicing, our thanksgiving, our every joy in the knowledge of you. Pray that we would die to self and live for you. That you would be at work in us, giving us victory over these these sins that so easily entangle us. Help us, Father, to fix our eyes upon Jesus. And, and like Him, to persevere, to resist our sin to the point of shedding blood, Father. But we know that it was His resisting of sin and His shedding of blood that gave us any power to resist our own. And so, Father... Grant to us repentance. May we be reminded, may we remember Saul and his falling away and be sobered by it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.